0: Y'all might not have been able to see them, but some of those people were standing up out there. (laughs) Uh, Not many churches get to have a song written by one of their choir directors for a sermon series, so thank Cassandra for that good work. Children, don't be afraid of the dark. Don't be afraid of the dark. Now I want you to listen to a little prayer with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Children, don't be afraid of the dark. Put them to bed right after we say, if you're going to die tonight, we're praying that God's going to take care of you, which isn't a bad prayer, but children, don't be afraid of the dark. You know, if I should die before I wake. Interesting, interesting way that we treat darkness in our world. And the fear that comes with it, that seeps in, that we're not even aware, is there. Hmm. Pray the Lord my soul to keep. Amen to that. All right, so uh, the kids made it through, though. They were up here today going, stomp. I couldn't keep up with their claps that they were doing. And I couldn't even get my stomp on the right beat either. It was one of those complicated choreographed numbers, but I try my best. So these children aren't afraid of the dark, it seems like. At least what I know is they're not afraid of church. They're not afraid of church. And so when we have our kids come in and dance with us and sing with us and read Scripture and be a part of our worship service, we want them to know that God is love. And that they can always come back here. In the dark, in the light, in the in-between. That they can always come back here. And know that they will meet God in this space. We're concluding this series today. And we're going to enter in the sanctuary some more light in a little bit. But I want you to hear a little bit about Barbara Brown Taylor's journey. She spent all this time writing this book. And having experiences of darkness. And so as she experienced it all the way through, she decided it was time for her final exam. You know, you think you know something? Okay, and so she was ready to have her final exam. So Barbara Brown Taylor went to a a Buddhist retreat center, and she went to a cabin in the woods at the Buddhist retreat center by herself, unplugged, no technology anywhere around, no air condition in the little cabin that she was in, and she was there to be by herself in the dark, throughout the whole evening into the next morning. The only friends she had during the night were some ants that kept crawling up whenever she tried to sleep. You know, But she decided not to kill them because it was a Buddhist retreat center. <laughs> she decided she would let them live and just keep brushing them away from her. And so as the night deepened, and she was able to see the three stars, which means you can start the Sabbath in tradition So she could see the stars, not like the city here where we can't. She could see the three stars and knew that it was time for the Sabbath to begin. And she started her journey without music, without any outside stimulation other than her own being in this cabin with the ants. There was a moment in time that she got afraid there was a moment in time where she felt something was outside the door trying to get in, and she wasn't sure if that something was good or not. And so she didn't open the door. She didn't look outside. She, would t- she says it like she's not even sure if it was real or imagined or what was going on, but she knew that she had become afraid to open the door. And you know what? This is my final exam. Am I going to pass it? Am I going to stay in this dance long enough to know what lessons I have to learn, to know what God's teaching me? And she stayed there the whole night. She was thankful for the first rays of sunlight. She breathed in and breathed out until the fear went away, and ultimately, she survived her exam. But she looks back on it, and she wonders, the reading we had today, what did I not let in? What journey was there for me to take that perhaps I didn't pay any attention to, that I said go away. Was it God knocking on the door saying, here I am? You think you know, but open the door and let me in another step. Open the door and let me in more deeply into your heart, into your life. And she said, I always look back and I wonder what would have happened if I didn't try to manage the fear in the darkness but just let myself live in it and explore what was there. I think she passed her exam. She might have been a little bit too hard on herself. But don't be afraid of the dark, and here we still find ourselves occasionally in that place of fear. Walter and I recently went on vacation, and we went on those cruise ships out of Galveston, And we went down to uh, the Yucatan Peninsula and around the Gulf and came back. And on the first stop where you got to go on land, we were doing a cave swim. Cave swim. I thought that would be interesting. Let's go in the cave and let's swim in the cave. Little did I know. I had forgotten years ago when I went scuba diving and tried to do scuba diving in a cave. And I was the first one down in front of the mouth of the cave. And when I was there at the mouth of the cave, long while it took a long time for people to calm down, I imagined all sorts of creepy things in that cave. <laughs> they had told us there would be eels in there, but they wouldn't hurt us. <laughs> and that it would be dark, but occasionally we would turn our lights on so we would know where we were. And so I'm down at the mouth of the cave waiting for the seven other people to descend in our party, and I freak myself out. (laughs) By the time the seventh person is down, I'm headed to the surface. (laughs) And I'm headed so fast, I almost hurt myself badly, because you're not supposed to go up real fast. You know, and I had a bloody nose when I got to the top, but thankfully that's all there was. But I was dancing with the dark, imagining what was there in that cave, and I wonder, oh Goodness, what kind of experience did I miss? Because the others came out raving about what it was like. But I was safe on the surface in the boat in the light, <laughs> not opening the door. So I didn't think about any of that when I said, let's do a cave swim. <laughs> I just said, oh, that will be neat. And so we did this cave swim. We got in the water. And, you know, some people are plungers and some people are waders. And the water was a little bit bracing, so Walter's a plunger, and I'm a waiter. And he just says, jump in, jump in. And I said, I'm going to take my time. Thank you very much. By the time I got in the water and got accustomed to it, and our group started moving around into the cave, and they had, we had to follow the paths of the cave, and they had constructed the tour in such a way that if you, you looped around, and you ended up back where you began. You ended up at the beginning place of the journey, And the cave would get lower and higher, and you had to watch out because there were stalagmites coming up in the water you didn't want to hurt yourself on, and there were stalactites coming down that you didn't want to hit your head on. Sometimes that would get tighter. And so I was feeling good. We made one swim, and we got out, and we were going to another one, and we got into the water, and they pulled us through it, and this wasn't a big loop where you ended up back at the front. This is one where you got to a dead end. You got to a dead end, and he said he still wanted you to keep going. And we said, what? How do we keep going at a dead end? Because the ceiling went down like this, and there was water up. What do you do at a dead end? He said, oh, you hold your breath. You hold your breath and you go under and you swim ways and then I'll feel your hand and I'll bring you up on the other side into the darkness there where it's really low, so don't bump your head. (laughs) Several of people in the group said, I'm not doing that. (laughs) He said, I'm not gonna go through that door, I'm not gonna do that. And I was sitting there going, Am I gonna do that? Will I go through this little experience into complete darkness, down into water, up to the other side where this guy tells me there's supposed to be air? (sighs) So far, he'd been trustworthy. Walter was game. I'm going. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So we got to that place that came down, and it came, I was the last one this time. I'd learned from being first. If no one comes back bleeding or dying, I can trust that maybe I can go do this experiment with this fellow. And so I hold my breath and I go under the water. And I emerge in this lower space that's dark. And I hear people around me breathing. I don't really see them very well, but I can hear them. And I hear this one gentleman going, oh, too close, too close, too close, too close, I hear the anxiety that I'm glad it's him and not me because I know it could have been me. And he immediately goes back the other direction, back into the light. We stayed there for a while. He had us turn on our flashlights and look around, experience the tightness, the closeness of it. But to experience what it meant to go through the door that might be scary... Experience of swimming into something that you could be afraid of. And not necessarily knowing what's on the other side. So I patted myself on the back, hit a rock in the middle this time I was doing it. The only good part about that part of the cave was that um, there weren't any bats. The rest of the swim had bats all over the place, which which Walter fell in love with too. So... (laughs) So I came back out the other side. I went and I ducked my head again so it wouldn't get hurt, came up to what I knew I was going to have happen on the other side. And we made our way back to the shore with a breath of relief. The way in was the way out. There was no other path but to trust, to take a deep breath, and to plunge in if I was going to be a part of the whole journey. And I hear Barbara Brown saying that about darkness. I hear her saying, we have to plunge in. And so when I came out of the cave and the light started to emerge, I started to remember and breathe more deeply. There was an anxiety that was with me the whole time I had no light. You may be feeling some of it in the sanctuary now as we start to let the light back into the sanctuary step by step. But know that this is some of what people of faith do all the time they say yes to going into the place that's uncomfortable they say yes to traveling with someone unfamiliar they say yes to listening to god knocking at the door saying just open it just open it just open it i am here i have more love for you than you've yet to imagine come on take a dive and plunge in I might have graduated from my exam that I didn't even know to prepare for in that little dive. I didn't get to travel much as a kid, so I enjoy it now. Uh, our travels were to places like Longhorn Cave and Aquarina Springs, which are fine places. You know, and One of my early experiences of darkness was going down in, in Longhorn Cave and having them turn off all the lights, entering the stone and having it be dark. But then when I became a young adult, my first trip out of the country, I was 23, 24 years old, and a friend from church and his sister were going to go to London and Paris. So I did go with them to London and Paris. I thought, this will be something new for me, something exciting as a young person. And they were willing to shepherd me along. They were each 15, 20 years older than me, so I was like the kid tagging along with, with some mom and dads to go on this trip. London didn't impress me too much. You know, they still spoke English. You know, so going to a place where they didn't speak English felt like I left the country, you know, but but going to England just felt like, okay, they speak English. But we got into Paris and started going day trips around the city. And we went to some beautiful places. And I, I, I just remember it so clearly. And we went to this one place called Chartres, where there was a cathedral built, Notre-Dame of Chartres. And as we approached Chartres, we saw this huge window on the outside that you're seeing in the, in the pictures. It's called the Rose Window. And it's part of why we went there, because we were going to see this beautiful light. We were going to see this beautiful stained glass window and all the light pouring through it. So we went inside the cathedral. And we got to see the beautiful light coming through ...coming through those stained glass windows. And as we enjoyed it, we walked around and visited the chapel and looked. And we walked up the aisle to the front of the chapel... ...where they had all these rows set up to the front of the chapel. And we left, enjoying the experience of the rose window. And this chapel that had all these interesting things in it... ...you know, as we went through it. I didn't find out till I left, till I read Barbara Brown Taylor's book... That I had made the mistake that a lot of people make when they go there. See, the people of the chapel have gotten so upset that all these spiritual journey people come to the chapel to walk a labyrinth. So, what they've done is they've set up all these chairs up on the floor on top of the labyrinth. And so, a labyrinth is a design where you go in for a spiritual walk. You take the walk, it winds and turns and curves, and then you go out the same way you came in. But it's a journey that you take each and every step of the way. But if you can see right in the middle of the hallway, that's the middle of the labyrinth. And they have chairs set up because you know, real spiritual people sit in rows (laughs) and look forward. You know, and if they're lucky, they look forward to something like that rose window because then they can see the light. This is what real spiritual people do. Heaven's sake, they throw the rose away and start to walk in a circle. What would happen? Y'all come to church next Sunday and all the pews are gone. Where's my place? (laughs) You know, where is it? But I left not having seen the labyrinth. Now I'm going to have to make another trip (laughs) and go back and see it. But the pattern of the labyrinth, the winding back and forth, is to talk about life and whatever spiritual questions and journey you have that moment in time. Then you're supposed to stay in the center of it. You're supposed to sit there for a period of time. And then when you're ready, you make your way out of the labyrinth. The way in is the way out, and the journey winds, and we don't necessarily know where the turns are going to hit us, but Jesus, God, is there at the door saying, oh, open the door. Open the door. I have more for you. Sometimes we don't even see that the door's there. I walked right over the center of the labyrinth and didn't even know it was there with an opportunity to find God in a new way. Now people will still go to this, but it's at night where they pull the chairs away and they let people go in circles instead of in rows. We are going to have a labyrinth here in November. November? In the activities building, it might take up the whole floor. And I invite you to come and participate in a walk of what it means to go on that winding journey, find a place at the center, and then find your way out again again back into what God's calling you to do. I remember a woman in Chicago at the church Walter and I attended and she was having a crisis. She was she was one of these people who likes the rose. She likes them. Just like this. Don't change anything up. She would not have liked this series at all. She would not have liked it at all. But she's having a spiritual crisis in her life. She's, she's been coming to church with a friend that she came to because that friend needed it. You know, that friend needed church and they thought it would be a good place for them to find some help and some home. And it was true, they did. And it was good for her friend. All of a sudden, she starts to feel a tug like something's on the other side of the door. And she doesn't know what it is. She's a little afraid. She says, Troy, I'm a scientist, but I don't find an answer for this on the periodic chart. Troy, I'm rational. I need substantial, factual things that I can look and touch and see, so I don't know what this thing is about. So I just listened, just listened. She was walking a labyrinth, but she didn't know what it was. And she was listening to God on the other side of that door, but she wasn't sure she wanted to receive God in that way. It might mess up the rose a little bit. But right in the space of helping someone else who needed it, she found God, found God in a new way. And she was then baptized later in that church as a statement of that faith. But it was terrifying to her. I want my rose. I want my periodic chart. I want the things that I know. I'm not sure I can trust in something I can't see. You think the friend was actually helping her come to church? (laughs) Instead of the other way around. In our faith journey, we think we might know But God calls us to open the door again and again. We think we are in need of nothing. The scripture of Revelation says, oh, come on now. Come on now. There's more of life yet for you to experience. Come and participate. Come and be a part. I have more love yet to reveal to you. We call this in the church baptism. It's a sacrament. And the sacrament means this. It means that we do a ceremony and a ritual to honor what's already gone on inside you. Some churches call weddings a sacrament, and I think they're right. We honor what's already gone on within the hearts of those gathered to wed. In baptism, we put water on the person or dunk them in the water. In honor of what's going on in their life and their journey with God. But it's like this journey that we've been going on. If you're a fully immersed kind of Baptist person, someone helps you, takes your head so you don't hurt yourself, pulls you all the way down in the water with some kind of words like, let go, release the world as you know it. And then brings them back up into a new world of trusting God. Baptism is like when I was in that cave and had to go under that, under that place to find a new space with God. When you come up, you're a new creation. A new creation. So in our church, in our world, in this place, in this time, when the world has so many things for us, where we don't unplug, as Reverend Vicki preached about, I wonder what it's like to really know the way in is the way out, you might have to take a lot of turns. In the middle of it, you might even have to duck your head and hold your breath. And at the end of it, God will invite you to still open another door. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Good morning, Resurrection. Uh, My name is Jerry Bray, and I just wanted to tell you a little bit about myself and my association with RMCC.